Please rise for the reading of God's Word. From Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And thus far the reading of God's Word and all God's people said. You may be seated. In the opening of his excellent treatise, The Soul of Prayer, P.T. Forsyth writes this, It is difficult and even formidable thing to write on prayer, and one fears to touch the ark. Perhaps no one ought to undertake it unless he has spent more toil in the practice of prayer than on its principles. But perhaps also the effort to look into its principles may be graciously regarded by him who ever liveth to make intercession as itself a prayer to know better how to pray. And Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, I have always hesitated to deal with this subject. I have never presumed to produce a book on prayer or even a booklet. It all seems so simple. But prayer is not simple. There is an element of discipline in prayer. Well, as I prepared this particular sermon, I could only say amen to what these men wrote. It is impossible to, to explore this subject without it provoking feelings of deep inadequacy. Nevertheless, this makes it all the more necessary. I trust, therefore, that together we might be exhorted and encouraged to pray more and to pray better. Prayer is, of course, a foundational necessity for us, for our families, for our churches, because communion is a foundational necessity. We exist to commune with God, which requires communication. God speaks in His Word, and we listen. And we speak with our prayers, and He listens. It is really quite remarkable. Unfortunately, it is one of the most neglected of the Christian duties. It's neglected both by being infrequent, but also by being immature. While God welcomes the prayers of little children, by now most of us ought not be praying children's prayers. To pray is to first acknowledge that we are creatures and that we are utterly dependent upon our Heavenly Father. And so I am confident that for most of us, the neglect of prayer accounts for many, if not most, of our emotional problems and lack of joy. And I wrote in my notes here to repeat that statement. I am confident that for most of us, the neglect of prayer accounts for many, if not most, of our emotional problems and lack of joy. Why? Because we haven't truly learned how to cast our cares upon God who cares for us. We are anxious about everything, and rather than doing what He says to do about our anxieties... We look for solutions in all kinds of other places. Self-help books, pills, distractions, 
all kinds of things. But the Scripture says, when you're anxious in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we don't do that and we seek the solution elsewhere, we have the opposite of peace. In prayer, we are made more and more aware of God's presence and of His power. And thus, as Isaiah declared, again, as I just cited, you will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, for He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. We think that's just a platitude, something we could put on a sign and sounds nice. Or do you believe that? May I suggest that some of us don't really believe this and therefore we are constantly engaged in a self-pity party. There is no victory in Jesus for those who don't pray. And by prayer, I don't mean some little trifle but rather a deep and earnest seeking of God. Like Adam and Eve, we want to be in charge. And like Adam and Eve, when we're in charge, we make a mess of things. We want to go to heaven when we die, but we refuse to have heaven come to us now. Listen carefully. I am not aware of anyone who is strong in prayer who is also overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. I can't think of one. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, or there's a Fox News alert, God is still on His throne. Now, there have been countless prayers offered up by Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in our past 20 plus years, publicly and privately. So it is not that we haven't prayed. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm very grateful for the prayers that go on continually. But that's not to say that we have no room for improvement and growth and maturity. There are no doubt many times when we should have prayed and we didn't. If you're like me, I find myself fretting over something or talking with someone, a friend, about a problem or something, and it never occurs to me to say, well, why don't we pray about it? Why don't we seek the Lord? Why don't we recognize that He's the one that can actually do something about this problem that we're fretting over? Or perhaps we should have prayed more or better or we fell and fell short but we, and therefore uh, we have room for improvement. And my concern this morning is that as we move forward as a church that we not only don't forget to pray but that we would actually become mighty in prayer. That is the essential foundation for a healthy church. Uh, therefore prayer may not be neglected but needs to be improved. Our life and our health, of our families, of ourselves, and of our church, and of our nation, I might say, depend on it. To not pray is a sin. Why? Because God tells us to pray. 
As we interact with God, our egos are put in their place. And since pride is the mother of all sin and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, prayer is always the place to begin. When we stand before God through Christ, it also transforms us in relationship to our neighbors. I look at people differently after I've met with God. Prayer is an act of fellowship. So why is it that we resist praying? Have you ever prayed and then regretted it? I haven't. But for some reason, I find myself resistant to it the next time. Richard Sibbs, a Puritan writer, said, When we go to God by prayer, the devil knows we go to fetch strength against him, and therefore he opposes us all that he can. Not wanting to pray is the sin behind the sin of not praying. Not wanting to. We, again, were made to commune, which means we were made to communicate with God. But as Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it can't save, nor his ear heavy that he can't hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden your face from him or his face from us. In, our, in Ephesians 5, uh, 1, 15-19, I want you to notice, I'm going to read this in a moment, that, Paul, that as Paul prays, he doesn't ask for God to change the circumstances for the Ephesians. They had some difficult circumstances, some persecution, some opposition, but he does keep asking that they would come to know God better and that they would, quote, have the eyes of their understanding enlightened. Listen to what he says. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? These should be the primary things that we pray for. Prayer isn't merely a way for us to get things from God, but rather a way for us to get more of God. Isaiah complained to God saying, And there is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to lay hold of you. Prayer is taking hold of God. Have you, have you ever prayed in such a way that you would describe it as having taken hold of God? If you find yourself riding an emotional wave that matches all of your circumstances, that's an indication that you need to spend a lot more time with God. Moreover, if your outward projection of spirituality greatly differs from the inward reality, you need to spend a lot more time with God. You see, there's the way others see you, and then there is the way God sees you. Matthew 6, Jesus says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners and the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father 
who sees in secret will repay you openly. If we fail to pray, then we don't treat God as God. Our responses to sermons and lessons and Bible reading and other promptings of the Spirit should be, our response should be to pray to God that he would help us apply his word. At Saul's coronation, Samuel was calling upon the people to repent, and here's what came next. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Remember, they they were unhappy because all the other nations had a king, and they wanted a king, and so God said, Okay, I'll give you what you want. He gives them Saul. And so that's the situation. Saul's being uh, now uh, coronated as king, uh, going through the coronation to become king, and they are realizing we think we might have made a mistake. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following Yahweh, but serve Yahweh with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For, the, for Yahweh will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased Yahweh to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So Samuel's praying. He's telling them to pray. He's telling them to keep their vow to the Lord. And he's praying that that would take place. Now, I want to talk about two aspects of prayer here, private prayer and public prayer. Our integrity is revealed in our private prayer lives. It's kind of what you do when nobody's looking, when nobody's looking but God. And I'd like, you know, I thought about this. Can you name one great man or woman of God who didn't offer robust prayer? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Or Ruth, or Naomi, or the woman at the well, or Hagar, or Miriam, or Deborah, Hannah, Esther, Mary? Moses? Deuteronomy 4, 7, for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him? David, the whole book of Psalms is a book of prayers. Daniel prays three times a day, risking his life in Babylon. Nehemiah prays as they rebuild the wall around Jerusalem in hostile territory. Do we, do, we for, uh, do we do for our country what Jeremiah did uh, said to do for Babylon, where he said, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for its peace, so that you will have peace? Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. He also prayed fervently, who, drew, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son and yet learned obedience by the things which he suffered, Hebrews 5, or in John 17, the night before he died, Jesus prayed for his disciples and the church. 
He died praying. The book of Acts opens with the church in one prayer meeting after another. Church leadership was selected with prayer. The apostles were given to the Word in prayer. We are called to pray without ceasing. And listen to, what the, to the apostle who said this, in, uh, the apostle Paul, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Prayer is everywhere in the Bible because God is everywhere. There is so much going on in prayer. I tried to just think through this and make a list, and this will be definitely incomplete. But this is why prayer is so foundational to your spiritual health as well as to the health of the church which you're part of, and so we need each other to be healthy and strong. Consider just some of the things that prayer does. Thanksgiving and praise, which of course changes our perspective and attitudes. I can't be a grump if I'm thankful. It changes me to give thanks and praise. Complaint and lament. There is a place to do that in prayer where we cry out to the one who can actually do something about the problem. Humility as we come before the Almighty Holy God which exposes our selfishness and immaturity and sinfulness. There's a self-knowledge that comes because we can't hide anything from God. Conviction which strips us of our pride as we stand naked before God. Confession which simply means There is this opportunity for me to agree with God and say, God, you were right about me. I admit that. I was wrong and you were right. It cultivates an awareness of God's presence in our lives and in the world. How about the peace which passes understanding or the hope that's set before us, the expectation of full victory? Or relationships that He's the Creator and I'm the creature, that He's the Father and I'm the Son? Connection with the past as I reflect upon those who've gone before me and a connection to the future. Trinitarian involvement of the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love for neighbors as as we turn our hearts and minds toward other people, somebody other than me. Connection then with others. Prayer fulfills a duty. Don't you feel good when you do your duty? Doesn't that encourage you? How about cultivating your loves? Loving the right kinds of things. How about filling us with delight? We get to know God and adore and enjoy Him. We participate in the work of advancing His kingdom. We get to treat God as God and not as some adjunct to our lives. And we could, no doubt, go on and add many things to this list. Would you like to have those things? Then pray. Pray a lot. Professor John Murray said that our faith involves intelligent mysticism. This means that as we commune with God in prayer, it will necessarily involve right thoughts about God, but also deep affections from our hearts. Our emotions are involved, should be involved, must be involved. If you are never moved by prayer, then you have yet to learn to pray. 
We need to experience our theology. If we are to live well, then we will have to, as Augustine did, reorder our lives. Many of you are familiar with the great author Flannery O'Connor, and she wrote this. And this was long before she became a famous author. She said, effort at artistry in this, in this rather than thinking of you, that is God, and feeling inspired with the love I wish I had. Dear God, I cannot love thee the way I want to. You are the slim crescent of a moon that I see, and myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing all the moon. What I'm afraid of, dear God, is that my self-shadow will grow so large that it blocks the whole moon and that I will judge myself by the shadow that is nothing. I do not know you, God, because I am in the way. And so we approach God with humble boldness. Think of what the scriptures say. Given who we are and what we are, and yet Hebrews 4 says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Then listen to this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We're not beggars, we're sons, we're daughters, and we come in the name of Jesus. Hebrews 7, 5, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. We're not praying by ourselves. Jesus is praying right there with us and for us. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Romans 8, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that, which cannot be uttered. Now, He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is praying too. As we pray in the presence of the Spirit of the Lord, we see the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when we're engaged in this, there's work going on in us. And we're able to see more and more of the Lord and more and more of His glory. And we love Him more and more. And we adore Him more and more. And therefore, does that change the way we live? Can you, can you go to that and then... Go back to the way you were living? Isn't that going to change you? And so it's critical to our life and health and for the sake of our marriages and families and churches and world that we continue to pray and improve our individual praying. The Catholics had a great slogan that I remember from my teen years that said, the family that prays together stays together. I have yet to find an unhealthy marriage or family that prays together on a regular basis. And I wrote in my notes, repeat. I have yet to find an unhealthy marriage or family that prays together on a regular basis. I mean more than saying the blessing over meals, 
Prayer is to become a habit, not an afterthought. I ran across this in Tim Keller's book on prayer, and he recounts this story. And I really like this. At one point during all this, they were having a number of difficulties. In fact, uh, uh, they'd both been diagnosed with health problems and so forth. My wife urged me to do something with her we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night. She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well as, as we remember it. She said something like this. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget, you would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because, because of all that we are facing. I am certainly not. We have to pray. We can't just let it slip our minds. Public and corporate prayer. I've spoken so far mostly about our private and family prayer life. Of course, these directly impact the life of the church because we're always the church, whether we're assembled or not. Nevertheless, there are also times when we are assembled together and when we pray together, such as uh, as a church, because as a church, we must pray because we're a family. And you'll recall that Jesus described the temple as a house of prayer. In addition to our midweek prayer service, we should see, this is, uh, I haven't really thought about this quite this directly, but I, the more I thought about it, the more I think this is really helpful. We should see our entire Lord's Day worship service, what we're doing right now, as one big prayer. It's a conversation. It's a communion from start to finish, between God and His people. Therefore, each of us must be actively engaged with our hearts, our minds, our bodies in the public, corporate act of prayer, of communing with God. This is a solemn occasion, not a casual spectator event. The liturgy teaches us how to pray without ceasing. Are you distracted or bored with worship? Then you're in need of learning how to pray. We all pray together individually, and also we enter into the prayers of those who represent God, represent us before God in public prayer, maybe from the pulpit or the lectern. If you, if we, neglect this foundation of prayer, then we will not survive as a church for very long. I close with this thought from John Calvin. For as soon as God's dreaded majesty comes to mind, we cannot but tremble and be driven far away by the recognition of our own unworthiness until Christ comes forward as intermediary to change the throne of dreadful glory into the throne of grace.
Let's pray. Lord, we bow our heads and hearts before you and give you honor and praise. Father, strengthen our prayer life. Help us to pray more. May prayer become the habit of our lives. Teach us to pray alone and in secret, to pray with our spouses and children, to pray with and for others, to pray at church. Help us to see that all of our corporate worship is prayer and communion with you so that we might not be casual or distracted. Help us to truly know who we are in Christ, to understand that you always hear us, and we also commit to know your word so that we can pray it. And Lord, strengthen us and enable us to truly cast all our cares upon you, for you do care for us. May we leave our anxieties with you that we might know the peace that passes understanding. And may we truly have our minds stayed on you that that peace may prevail in us. We pray in the name of Jesus who intercedes for us. Amen. The preface to the Lord's Prayer begins with Matthew 6, 5-9. It says this, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in, secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you openly, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. In this manner, therefore, pray. Three times Jesus says, when you pray. There's an assumption that we will pray. For the believer, prayer is full of deep meaning and intimate communion with God. Prayer is to be something we think about and say with our lips, but also that flows from our hearts. We use ordinary language to talk with God. He wants us to do this. You say, but I'm not a very good, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to pray. Just talk to your Father. Work at, you know, you Start working to grow up. Read His Word. Listen to other prayers. Read prayers. There's a lot of ways you can improve and grow, but don't wait to be fully grown up before you pray. You're, the chi- you're a child of God. He wants to hear from you. Jesus condemned the wrong kinds of prayers and then immediately offered His disciples instruction on how to pray. We often don't even know what to pray for, but Jesus helps us with the Lord's Prayer by putting words in our mouths to provide a model or a template for us to follow. You can use the Lord's Prayer like an outline. Memorize it and then go through it. And, okay, what? our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What is that? Praising God. Start your prayers by praising God for who He is and what He's done. Lord, I thank You for Your greatness. I thank You for Your wisdom. I thank You for Your love. I know that we pray the Lord's Prayer each Sunday as part of our worship service, as we did earlier this morning, but I want us to now, as we come to the table, to bow our heads and pray that prayer again, remembering its purpose, which is to teach us to pray. So let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy
will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So I invite everyone who is baptized, uh, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a member of a church in good standing to come and partake of the Lord's table, which he now feeds us on Christ. Father, we thank you now for this bread, the bread of life, who is Jesus himself. And as we now take a piece of this loaf and join together in eating it together, we proclaim that we indeed are a part of that body. We are the body of Christ. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. O God, our shield, protect us now as you have in the past from the deceptions of Satan. Cause us to cherish the blessings of your pure word as our fathers in faith have delivered it to us. Give our leaders courage and wisdom and zeal to proclaim the gospel faithfully. Give us the desire to support the work of your kingdom with the means you have provided Stir up the hearts of our sons and daughters to eager service in your church. Send laborers into your harvest and give your word free course to bring the joy of salvation to the many who are yet in darkness. What a heritage you have given to your church. We have the gospel in all its truth. Teach us to appreciate that godly persons were willing to sacrifice their lives for these treasures. Keep us in the truth. And make us instruments for its preservation for generations to come. Arm us with the weapons of the gospel to defend the holy ground our fathers contended for. Stamp out the spirit of compromise and keep us from yielding even the least particle of faith that was once entrusted to the saints. Be our mighty fortress to protect us from the devil. May we possess and embrace your word, your sacraments, and your discipline, and most of all, May we, as the true church, manifest your love. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God through all eternity. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen.